Welcome to this week's episode of Our Regenerative Future. My name is Chris Hovde, and every week I invite inspiring guests who all have in common that they act on the solutions to create an even more thriving world for all of us. So get ready to be inspired and get tons of concrete advice on how you can contribute to do exactly that. Today's inspiring guest is Paul Skinner, which has written The Purpose Upgrade, uh, which is described as a necessary and enlightening call to action. And we all need a bit of more call to action. So I really look forward to welcome Paul. Hi, Paul, and welcome to the videocast. Thank you, Chris. I'm, uh, I've been really looking forward to the opportunity to explore a regenerative world and a regenerative future with you. Thank you. And I just remember the first time I was uh, set in contact with you and we started to talk and I was like, oh my God, this really, really gives me a lot of uh, food for thought and my brain was ecstatic. So hopefully we can also share a bit of that uh, with the listeners. But for those out there who doesn't necessarily know you that deep and well, uh, let, uh, let us get a short introduction and also maybe hear from you what has the things in life been that have sparked your interest or your passion around both upgrading per purpose and all the other great amazing stuff you're doing at the moment wonderful so um i mean i guess like maybe some of your other guests i, I i'm not sure who you've been speaking to but i have several hats um so i'm gonna pick first my non-profit that i created called marketing kind just because if people are listening to this they might enjoy coming to some of the online uh, gatherings that we put together through marketing kind so marketing kind is a community of marketers business people and agents of change who believe that the world's most pressing problems depend most fundamentally for their resolution, not on technology or finance, but even more fundamentally than that on forms of human cooperation. So we think we can read them as really exciting marketing briefs in disguise. Um, and we have a whole <laughs> series of different types of online event that we put together to empower each other to, to, to be able to address those briefs. Um, with my advisory hat on, and that's marketingkind.org for anyone who, who is interested. With my advisory hat on, I spend most of my time helping leadership teams to define, or well, to select, define, and then mobilize around purpose outside as well as inside the business and to elevate the um, strategy with uh, purpose. Um, and then I write my books to hopefully make my ideas useful to a broader group of people than the, the groups uh, of people who are working with me directly. So um, a little over four and a half years ago, I wrote my first book, Collaborative Advantage, which proposes collaborative advantage as a fundamental alternative to the conventional goal of competitive advantage. Um, and most recently, um, I've written the book, The the Purpose Upgrade, Change Your Business to Save the World, Change the World to Save Your <laughs> Business, um, which is really arguing uh, not only to forge shared purpose with others, but that in our environment of some quite serious problems impinging on us today, that we, we need to elevate that work on purpose and be more ambitious with it to drive the, the kind of change that we need to see. Mm. 
Uh, I think you asked also about motivation, um, and that's a yeah. <laughs> one. Um, so you could go so many different ways. So rather than, uh, I, I think I'll just pick the, what first comes to mind, which is I'm very interested, particularly because I'm talking to you, and I know that you are an urban monk. Um, and so I'm very interested in the relationship between narratives uh, and sort of embodied silence that sits underneath those narratives um, and the relationship between the two. So in a sense, um, the more spiritual motivation, um, which wasn't necessarily explicit in the text, but which sits underneath it for collaborative advantage, was perhaps a recognition born from the experience of meditation that um, underneath our stories, in a sense, we are all as one. You know, the from a certain level of uh, view, there isn't uh, a hard stop between when I end and when the world around me begins. You know, if I mm. touch if I touch my desk from a certain perspective, there is a morphing of materiality between my hand and the desk. Same when we eat, breathe, and so on. And so, in a sense, um, collaborative advantage was born from the inspiration that actually we are as one. So, how do we maximize value creation from that? recognition um, and then maybe in the the purpose upgrade when you when you meditate you step outside of the narratives that you have in your mind that are driving how you live and work that particular day and in stepping outside of a narrative you have the opportunity to renew it to bring fresh vibrancy to it to change the direction of it um, to recognize things that maybe had previously been hidden from view or not accessible perhaps your top-down executive functioning even if your mm. body had started to to learn from its environment and the parts of your brain that you have less access to had started to process on your behalf some new truths so um maybe <laughs> that is some of the inspiration behind the two books but through the lens of our mutual interest in meditation yeah and I really like, and I could listen to you for hours, so I also need to make sure that I talk here. Uh, but I really like the way I listened recently to the Purpose Upgrade, and then we also had a talk. And I like the way you almost every concept you are talking about, you're iterating on it all the time, or you are rewriting it, or you're even kind of challenging it. And uh, maybe if we look at it in a different way, it will uh, come up as a completely new concept and so on. So what have made you become this kind of rewriter uh, um, or kind of challenging established concepts and trying to look at almost everything in on a different angle? Yeah. Um, so I think I could, again, this could invite so many different um, approaches. <laughs> I'm going to give a, 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 sh a recent and further past. So um, I think one of the things that I've been coming to as a recognition recently um, is that, you know, most of the errors that we mis that we commit are not errors because there is something wrong with our internal train of thought. They're errors because there is something in the shadow of that thought that we are overlooking. You know, and this applies 
to really good things. So let's take the sustainable development goals, because, you know, arguing against the sustainable development goals would be like, you know, arguing in favour of racism or something. You can't even conceive of being against the sustainable development goals. And I'm very much for the sustainable goals, just to be clear. Um, but even a fantastic thing like the sustainable development goals will have a shadow side. So when so many businesses are aligned around the sustainable development goals, there'll be things that are really important to the future of humankind that, mm. that don't get prioritized as much as the things that are made explicit in those. So, for example, media reform is incredibly important. You know, we're not going to um, take the right decisions collectively as a society and business leaders and change agents if the stories that we're absorbing in the media don't adequately reflect the true nature of the problems that we face. So media reform is very important. Mm. Democratic processes is arguably um, more important than they're given credit for in the sustainable development goals. So in a sense, I'd say in the human world, um, all of the narratives that guide our actions are relative and imperfect and therefore they are susceptible to being upgraded. You know, mm. science cannot tell us if there is a meaning of life, but we live lives of meaning because meaning um, for, for us is the map that we use to plan our journeys to better. Um, mm. you know, we um, evolved our brains to be <laughs> able to move with intentionality. Now, um, I certainly couldn't out-sprint a jaguar. I couldn't out-navigate a migratory bird. Um, but being able to move with intent means knowing where you are, where you've been, and where you could get to. And through human cognition, that means we, we can conceptualize that as our past, our present, and our future. And human language gives us the ability to narrate that as um, the beginnings, middles, and ends of our stories. And it's mm. really these stories that shape the more imagin imaginative pathways through life that we can can follow. Um, mm. And at any point in time, we're choosing from among the options we can perceive in our environment and from imperfect narratives that describe those options and which are, you know, attempts to achieve better. And, and I think we can upgrade those attempts at any point in time. And today's environment is particularly full of what economists call exogenous variables, or what I call the things that take us completely by surprise, that were not accounted for in the prior stories that we told ourselves. And so we're having to not just adjust within a story, but sometimes to take on a whole new story of what kind of situation we're in in the first place, you know, and therefore what action we could take, you know, not just reimagining what work we do in the world, but re-understanding the nature of the world in which we do our work. Mm, um, I'm mm. finished with one tiny point because I want to get your perspective on this. But um, I remember once listening to Helen Lewis of The Atlantic saying that when she used to teach creative writing, she used to teach people, her students, to write their bad guys, not as people who think they are the bad guys, but as the people who think they are the heroes of a different story. And I think very often mm. we're not necessarily the bad guys, but very often we need to suddenly realise, aha, maybe the story that we need to be in is different to the story we thought we were in. And so mm. we can upgrade our activities accordingly. 
Cool. I love that uh, flip side. But taking it a bit back to the development goals, because I talk sometimes a lot about them uh, and saying that I don't like them. Uh, just to bring that perspective in, uh, and I think they're far too less ambitious than we need to be. I think that they come across at least as reducing the harm and the minuses and basically reducing the shit of the world that we have already created. Instead of uh, looking at it uh, in a regenerative uh, view where we could, okay, what is the maximum amount of pluses we could give and create to the world? So I actually feel that sometimes the sustainable development goals that nobody believes we will reach anyway is a part of giving people less hope, but also focusing on like making shit smell a bit less shitty and who is ever motivated by that. So I also uh, work as a, worked as a sustainability manager, but I lost my motivation. The same thing, I also worked as a diversity and inclusion manager. And then we're always just working on reducing the minuses. And those who have a bad time, let's make them have a bit less bad time uh, or the planet and such. So maybe that's also something uh, we would need to upgrade uh, to actually make more people join the movement, it being fun, it being motivating and not like pointing fingers and uh, we're in a critical time and we need to reduce the minuses to be a bit less mind. Like how can we even get people on board that change? Only the church uh, that you're talking to is going to be part of taking enough action and everybody else just like, okay, let's make the world go to hell a bit uh, faster. So I'm thinking, what are we doing wrong? Because we will, I don't believe we will reach the sustainability goals. Uh, and I'm quite optimistic. What's your thoughts on that? Um, so that, that's quite fun to, well, <laughs> these are quite serious issues. So in, in a sense, I shouldn't call it fun, but it is, um, it is enjoyable to hear you talking about the sustainable development goals with a, with a, with a critical lens. I, I think that, that you're right. Um, sustainability as a notion has a somewhat limited ambition. I mean, if you described a relationship as sustainable, um, that probably wouldn't mean that it was a positive <laughs> relationship. You know, you get anomalies. I think it was it last year that British American Tobacco was rated by Refinitive Data as the third best ESG performing company in the world. So just because you can be sustained doesn't mean you're solving important problems. Um, and I think that even, you know, things like diversity and inclusion initiatives themselves can also be upgraded. I mean, I, I would say one of the limitations of DNI is that it's tended to be about how an organization thinks about its own staff, you know, its employees and colleagues. And um, if we want to drive a diverse and inclusive world, we need to be looking at what is the total change that uh, an organization brings to the world. So is, is, a, is an organization making a positive contribution? And if we want people to belong together, um, and that's what diversity and inclusion is about, then first of all, we need a home to belong in. So is an organization doing something on the climate emergency and biodiversity and nature systems? Uh, and secondly, you know, we need to include people in that home. We need to feel that we belong together. And so that means doing something about 
the fact that there is an accelerating extremity of of divides in terms of the distribution of wealth you know poverty and inequality probably being the you know the the joint you know biggest problem facing us along with the the climate emergency um and one mm. of the ways that i like to think about um this is for a, a business to be able to identify what is the overall wealth of change that that business brings to the world you know what is the net difference that we make and then of course we look at how all of our stakeholders um, take their share of that change whether it's benefits for customers meaningful work for colleagues um, you know financial and other rewards for um, shareholders um, but first of all thinking what is the total positive change that we can bring to the world, the wealth of change, and then looking at how to divide that. Because otherwise, you know, notions like stakeholder capitalism, for example, as you say, um, will be more of a balancing act. And how do you divide up, you know, an existing system rather than how do you generate something positive in the first place? So mm. I, I feel we're fairly aligned in that and have some, some quite similar perceptions in terms of um, how we can be more ambitious in our conceptual yeah. thinking. Cool. <clears throat> and then you also talk a bit about like untangling the stories and uh, one of my maybe uh, frustrations in the world today is that it's so easy to talk about change, but it's so difficult to act. But still we want to give people the benefit of the doubt and we're like overly trusting and I'm at least overly trusting and naive. So when people say, I care about sustainability or a company says that or diversity and inclusion or whatever fight cause you have, I believe them and everybody else also choose to believe them almost. And it's almost come into a world where we don't even need to back up our words with action. We are just believed for our word and I think that's also hindering a lot of the progress because we're talking so much. Uh, it's almost like visualization. Then we believe that we are good. Uh, so it will create less sense of urgency for us to move because we're so good in Scandinavia with diversity and inclusion and we're the best place in the world, but best compared to what? Compared to like societies where we like are treated as slaves and stuff like that, or that you can't be yourself or best in the way that according to our dream. So I think we're quite far from our dreams uh, and then we're quite far off our ambitions because we use words instead of actions mm. uh, as the credibility measure, basically. Uh, how do you think of stories uh, and how do you use stories or how do you think kind of marketing can change uh, and kind of influence action instead of just being another story that's out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's just so much to <laughs> yeah. unpick in everything you've said. I mean, I, I feel one thing I kind of wanted to, to lean into in, in at the start of your question was um, this notion of thinking we're doing really well because of what we say. And so I want to give an example. So if you take Denmark, for example, I guess the one point I want to make is none of us has got all the answers. So we all need to do better. And mm -hmm. then also none of us 
has no contribution to make. You know, none of us is written off. So Denmark, for example, is often voted to be the most sustainable country in the world. In a sense, you wonder what it means to be a sustainable country because you need the world to come with you to be sustainable. But And of course, Denmark <laughs> is doing some fantastic uh, work on sustainability. The royal family buys into it, the government buys into it, the business leaders buy into it. Um, at the same time, if we think of, you know, one of the most um, uh, urgent problems in the world is, of course, we have conflict in Europe. Um, and it is, you know, the United States, of course, is not only doing more, as it happens, obviously, in absolute terms than, than Denmark, but even in relative terms, you know, related to, um, you know, per capita, it is the US that's doing more to keep the Ukraine in existence than, than Denmark. And you wouldn't think of the US as um, historically a, a champion on some of the other issues. So when none of us are finished and we all need to do more. Um, and then in terms of how that relates to stories um stories are facts and truth are incredibly important we must respect facts and truth and, and i would never advocate other other than that however what i will also say as a point of nuance is that it is often the story through which we interpret facts and truth that has the biggest impact on the outcomes we achieve. So even in the case of most disasters and emergencies, for example, the um, direct unavoidable impact of that disaster is usually less than the cumulative impact of the narratives that collectively define how we anticipate, prepare for, define, mitigate, adapt to, respond to, or recover from that disaster and emergency. Um, and so even, for example, you could say in the case of World War I, how we negotiated the peace afterwards perhaps is somewhat responsible for the conditions that gave rise to World War II. Whereas how we came together and negotiated and agreed peace at the end of World War Two, you know, we got the United Nations, human rights, the architecture of the humanitarian system, the welfare states emerged in, in different nations around the world, and that ushered in decades of rising peace and prosperity. Um, so, you know, truth is incredibly important, but narrative is our map of how we collectively understand and come to terms with truth and collectively decide what to do about it. So narratives are incredibly important to us. And from a marketing perspective, what we need to understand is that you know, often when you talk about stories and business, we think too quickly about the story told by a business to its customers. Um, one of the things I try to do in, in both my books, really, but certainly the purpose upgrade is to um, bring about an awareness of all the narratives that are guiding how we live and work at any point in time and how we can better um, align and elevate those collective narratives for positive change. I'd say, you know, the ideal marketing brief today is perhaps no longer what is the right strap line for a Super Bowl ad. And it's more about how can we work with the mayor of our city and other stakeholders to forge a long-term vision for our citizens to buy into that that we serve as a business not just today and tomorrow but for long-term uh, goals that mean something to to our stakeholders mm. 
I love that. And uh, something that really kind of inspired me with the purpose upgrade is that you always, uh, most people see kind of the first step uh, in front of them and like that's mm. our purpose, but you basically, I would say you take it as far as I didn't think I could go either. And it's like, wow, you made me rethink and uh, kind of stretch even further in my mind. And I know that a lot of the listeners, and I think that also connects a lot to regenerative regenerativity, and that's kind of finding a purpose in life, uh, uh, doing good for others, being in service, and what can I use my life here on earth on to maybe leave the place at least a bit better uh, than when I joined uh, this human experience. So what is your kind of, if you're going to take some things from the book, and I know it's like uh, purpose upgrade and written more like for companies and so on, but also on a personal level, what can people take with them from that book? If you're going to highlight a couple of things to find more meaning in life and stretch their own purpose. Yeah. Um, so in the book, I argue that purposes can be our most adaptive capacity as humans, but only if we put our conscious attention on renewing our stories when circumstances change, um, that it can be our most renewable resource in, in enterprise, in business, but only if we overcome the limitations of existing management models and ways of thinking about purpose, um, and that a purpose upgrade is something that is an always available event for any organization of any size in, in any sector. Um, I think in terms of um, individuals or businesses, um, I would say um, often we've come to think about purpose in too static a way and perhaps too introspective a way. You know, I was um, at, at, in the gym a few days ago and um, I heard us was listening to a song by Nomad and it contains the line, if you are looking for a purpose, then no purpose will you find. Um, and I think, you know, maybe that's a reminder that um, our stories are born from having problems to solve. You know, that's how we evolved our brains. That's how we evolved our language. And so... Um, often the, the way to build purpose is to find important problems to solve in the first place and then to build more meaningful stories around how we can uh, solve those problems and then to, to achieve more inclusive outcomes than otherwise we and, and more ambitious outcomes perhaps than otherwise we might have reached. Um, and so I think that that outward looking, um, spend some time looking at you know, what are the problems around you? What are the ones that most interest you? What are the solutions that you most believe in? Um, and I think that um, that um, can give rise to, you know, a huge amount of energy and inspiration then in, in tackling those problems. Mm. You know, purpose is an adaptive capacity. It's something that helps us better achieve um, and live a, a more flourishing life. Mm. And I like that, uh, but also see there's a bit of a journey. I think my purpose was uh, more introspective uh, earlier on in my journey. And then when I have done my own uh, work, uh, I feel like I'm more capable and have more resources and energy and uh, everything more in place, not everything, but more in place within me so I can also look more outwards. Uh, 
So it's to me also a bit of a continuum. Uh, and as you said, what I like with the purpose upgrade and your book is that you say it should be adapted to the context and uh, kind of upgraded all the time. And I really like that because usually we talk about the purpose you sustain time and it should be the same and it should be. Uh, so I really like that perspective. But then uh, it takes me also to some concrete advices because you now talked about uh, the gym. Then I'm uh, curious about what other things do you do in your life to live a more regenerative life, uh, to take a bit of an introspective uh, perspective here as well? Yeah. Um, well, I, I mentioned earlier in our conversation, I meditate every day. Um, I did spend um, over a year meditating up a mountain from 24 to 25. And so that was a, mm. a life-changing event and perhaps kind of grounded me um, in my own body, in, in my own sense of, of who I was. Um, and so I think that you know, that regular capacity to step outside of our narratives is incredibly important in a world where the stakes are constantly rising and the complexity of life around us and the problems that we have to solve is, is appears to be constantly ri rising. And so I think that that renewal that comes from a practice such as meditation or mindfulness um, is incredibly important to maintaining resilience in that. Um, I think you're right as well in terms of it's a connection. So purpose is about an adaptive fit between who we are and the changing world you know, around us. You know, we are creatures of context. Um, you know, in economic thinking, you know, the line is Tetris Paribus, all things being equal, which essentially says, let's pretend there is no context. Whereas, of course, for us, we are entirely creatures of, of context. You know, even what we can say to each other is a, is, is a matter of context, is a matter of what we've done before, how we know each other and so on. You know, everything is a, a matter of context. And so what we're doing with purpose is maintaining or trying to optimise the adaptive fit between who we are, what we can do, and the changing nature of the world around us. You know, if we were constantly repurposing, then you're changing direction. You don't go anywhere because you would just turn on the spot. But equally, mm. you know, our purpose will always be imperfect. And if we just keep going in the same direction without that adaptive shift, we end up finding that we're becoming more and more dislocated from the, the optimal uh, place that we could be. Um, I do think um, gym and some weightlifting or something like that can be incredibly helpful because all of our thinking is embodied. You know, I've not met anyone yet who can think outside of their own body. And so taking care of your body <laughs> can be... Uh, Let me know uh, if you uh, find that one. Yeah, I will. I, yeah. You know, well, we've got, you know, it, it, this is a big year for um, artificial intelligence. And so... <laughs> Definitely. Um, but uh, for the time being, thinking takes place in bodies. <laughs> cool. I would love to touch more into both. Uh, it reminds me a bit of self-altering mind and then, uh, of course, the world of artificial intelligence. But mm -hmm. our time together, at least for this time, Paul, uh, is over. And I would just like to ask you if you have one small call to action for people out there who want to make a difference and want to be part of uh, this movement and create a better place uh, where they, when they leave the world, basically. What would be your one cent uh, to them? 
So um, there, I recently came across the Buddhist tradition of the koan, um, which is a question that is designed, it's not because the person asking it knows the answer, it's to, to create a space where somebody can change their own perspective or uncover something new. And so um, one koan that I've been putting to leadership teams in recent months that maybe people would like to chew on for themselves would be, you know, what if instead of trying to create um, the best businesses in the world, in your particular sector, you shifted your attention to trying to lead the best business for the world. You know, what could that mean for your, for the world and for your stakeholders? Mm -hmm. And what mm -hmm. could that mean for, for the business that you're in? And apply it to any level. So business as a whole, part of a business, just your, your day job or even just one aspect of your of your day job. So should I give one example? So if even if you're working on reception in a building, um, then you could say, well, I thought my purpose was to point people in the right direction for the office where they have their meeting when they visit. You know, what if instead I said, look, if I can make a fractional contribution to the state of being, the state of mind of every person who comes into this building for meetings, you know, while I'm working on it over the course of the next year, what difference will that make to the business and the organization? You know, how can I maybe even ask for a little budget so that I can do this in surprising ways? <laughs> what difference is that? So anything we're doing, we could just stop for a moment a bit more frequently, frequently and think, okay, how could we elevate the very purpose, the very thing we're aiming for in the first place? Mm. I love that. And I think that's a good uh, ending to our conversation. And I just love listening to you. So I would uh, wish uh, we could talk for hours. But uh, thank you so much, Paul, for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. It's um, always a pleasure to have a chance to talk with you. And thank you to all the listeners out there to the videocast A Regenerative Future and for your contribution to a more thriving world. So until next time, see you and goodbye.